John 21, it's on page 1055. <clears throat> and we'll just wait while Caleb flicks another switch there. Okay. John 21, uh, reading from verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to your word knowing that uh, you speak to us, you have led us to yourself, you reveal who you are and what we are like. All things are in your word, all things are in your ways. And we ask as we come to it that, Lord, we might accept, we might know what you are saying, we might hear, we might respond, that you might challenge us, that, Lord, we... Uh, Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts to what you would have us hear. And Lord, I pray that you would keep me from error. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Keith, if you don't know me. Uh, Keith Walker, apparently. So uh, it's lovely to be here with you. Um, John chapter 6 is probably my favourite part of the Bible, which is always a funny thing to say because once you've said it, you'll come up with another part. But John chapter 6 is actually one of my favourite passages in the Bible. Why is it? If you've got John chapter 6, could you open with me? Turn back to, in the pew, it's uh, 1036, I think it is. It, it's, a, it's a relentless passage of Jesus saying things, you know, this is what it's like, this is what it's like, this is what it's like to all the people who are following him. And, one, and bit by bit, the people who are following can't take it anymore. Uh, they eventually go, uh, this is really hard, verse 60. See that there? On hearing it. Many of his disciples, meaning the people who are following, they're liking what they're seeing, they're liking what's happening. They're part of something here. They're here. But as Jesus actually lays it on the line, what it's all about, what he's about, they eventually go, wow, this is actually too hard for us, verse 60. Um, 
we're not really sure we can accept it. And they wander away. All this crowd that was following, they leave. It's a real, uh, Keith, why is this your favourite part? Um, it's because of verse 68. I always loved this. Uh, verse 67, actually, we'll start there. Jesus says to them, to the 12, he says, do you want to leave too? And Simon, in verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus says, I have not, have I not chosen you, the 12, yet one of you is Judas as we go on. I always loved verse 68, verse 69. What a testimony. What a thing to say. It always, I always actually always had feelings about that. When I heard those words, they stirred things within me because that's the testimony that you want from someone. Where are we to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Peter is the one who has uttered those words. And so in one sense, it's been very strange to find out what happens to Peter as we've been going through him. As Jesus comes to the crucifixion, what does Peter do? Does he respond with those great words? Well, as you know, he responds, are you, you are with them? No, I am not. Uh, you're with them, blah, 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 blah. He responds, I am not. And then a third time he's asked, weren't you with them? And he denies that he was with Jesus and his disciples. So in one sense, it's a, that's a tremendous, chapter six looks like a tremendous high. In one sense, that statement we read before, exactly what you would want from yourself, from anyone. And then Peter responds with those famous words. As Jesus is asked, are you? He always says, I am, I am, I am, reflecting, of course, who he is, God, come to the person in Jesus incarnate. And when Peter is asked, are you? I am not. I am not. And then he denies, basically saying, I am not. A great contrast between Jesus and Peter. And so that has left Peter in a really funny state. And the, at John chapter 21 ha usually has, this section has on your Bible, I think it has it here. I haven't got it open. Does it have Peter, Jesus reinstates Peter? I'm always, I'm actually not sure about that anymore, the reinstatement. What does reinstatement mean? I've switched and I flurry and I flux with it. I think Peter's always been in. I don't think he needs to be reinstated because Jesus has chosen him. It says in verse six, chapter 6, he's always in the picture. So it's reinstatement sort of sounds like to me he was once isn't and now is. So it's... It's sort of true and maybe not so true. But Jesus wanted to make sure that Peter knows that he is forgiven. 
I think in this chat passage that we read, these three verses that I've got, Jesus is showing a pattern for ministry. With the Lord, there is always forgiveness. With the Lord, there is always grace and mercy. These things, remember, we're told are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that you may believe that you have life in his name. This is the third occasion that the disciples have seen Jesus. And there are seven disciples in this appearance. And so firstly, the fire of coals. Peter's denial and Jesus' forgiveness are separated in two parts and they're linked by a strange Greek word which means fire of coals. It occurs, if you switch with me, back to John chapter 18, verse 16 to 27. Peter denies Jesus three times. He stands before a fire of coals and people are warming themselves. They're getting cold. It's night. You remember when Peter denies him? It's night. Peter stands around and warms warms himself on the fire of coals with everyone else. He stood with them, it says in verse 18, and warmed himself. It's at a time where Peter should have stood with Jesus, but instead he stands apart. It's a time perhaps you might like to say he should have been on fire, but actually he was very cold, cold towards Jesus, cold towards what he had been called for, cold towards what he stated from his own heart he would do and be. Instead of being on fire Jesus, uh, for Jesus, Peter is cold. And then we go to verse 20, uh, chapter 21, verse 9. There is that same strange Greek word translated, a fire of coal. It's the only two times that word occurs in, the, in the John, and it occurs linking these two things together. That's not an accident. John has made sure that we notice that. Peter has gone back to fishing, maybe. He's the leader of the pack. The other former fishermen follow him. Has he actually gone back to fishing? Is it a part of waiting? Is he depressed with what's happened and he doesn't know what to do? We're not really told. We'd have to say if you say any of those things, you're slightly speaking what the text isn't saying. Why is he there? Well, it's certainly what he knows. He's fishing. Jesus, of course, appears, and they've been fishing all night. What have they caught? A cold, perhaps. Yeah, yeah that's right. Nothing. Nothing. Anyone like fishing here? Anyone good at it? Yes? Do you catch anything? I, I, I can't catch anything. I can't touch fish. It's too hard. So I admire you. Peter has uh, caught nothing. They've all caught nothing. And, of course, Jesus says, cast your nets to, the, to this side. And what do they do? They can't really bring all the fish in that they've got. But Peter isn't really going to wait for that because he rushes to Jesus Once he realises it's Jesus, he rushes ashore ahead of them all to where? To verse 9 in chapter 21, 
to the fire of coals. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. What was on those coals? It was there with fish and some bread. Is there another occasion you can remember Jesus providing fish and bread? There's lots of themes, isn't there? Lots of echoes of what has happened so that when we get here, we're actually being presented with a familiar scenario of what will happen. John chapter 6, it's hard not to see the parallels. Jesus has provided for them a meal. It's provided because he is the Lord of creation. He's provided because he's Lord of all. He knows what they need. He's already done what they've been out there trying to do. He's done. And that he's done because he knows them and he loves them. Jesus gently recreates the conditions of the, Peter's first calling so that when Peter comes, this scene might happen. Secondly, after the fire of coals, we end up with, do you love me more than these? Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, son, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Less, yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. The title of today's sermon is, of course, Feed My Sheep, because what Jesus has told him. A friend put it this way, Christ pulls Peter aside and asks him a question three times, one for every denial. It's no accident. There's lots of threes through this passage. Peter has messed up and he's pained. He's full of shame. But Christ tenderly takes him, offers him the mandate that he has prepared for him. He wants him to be someone who tends and cares for his people, shepherds his people. For every denial, Jesus asks him the question, do you love me? It's as if the questions at first hurt but in the end, they become the way for restoration. It's a big wound. I don't know how you've ever read the Gospels, but in another Gospel there is when Peter denies Jesus a third time, Jesus looks at him directly. And I've always thought, wow, what would that be like? That would be crushing. It's a big wound. But after these questions, Peter and the others hear what Jesus has come to do, what Jesus has done, and how Jesus restored and given Peter, in a sense, all of them, a commission. With that, Christ concludes with the evocative words, follow me. 
It's an amazing thing. The, the third point is it's a, third, a reinstatement perhaps, but it's a reinstatement of something of endless possibilities. Jesus, as we said, appeared this third time. It's, you remember, he's raised from the dead here. And so every appearance is unusual. Every appearance is worth noting. Every word is worth hearing. The disciples might have lost their faith almost, have gone back fishing. That's sort of stuff we have to guess, I suppose. But they're waiting for something, waiting for what will happen. Of course, this is before Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit has not come yet. So even before that time, Jesus reassures Peter and the others that he is not finished with them. There is a, you might have heard, I think I've preached a sermon once uh, quite fervently about the change of verb here. Does anyone like verbs? Put your hand up if you love verbs. Anyone? There are two different verbs here. There's two verbs for love, right? So there are two different verbs. And I remember preaching a sermon many years ago based on a, uh, not my work, because I always have to rely on someone else usually, how they pointed out and made a big case for the change in verbs and how that was really important as if Jesus asked them these questions. The truth is uh, we don't think that anymore, but actually the two verbs we should have noticed can even be used interchangeably in John. So even when Jesus called, when John refers to himself as the beloved disciple, he will change the verb for beloved to mean the same thing. So it doesn't really matter anymore. But we used to think it meant something, that it was getting more serious. And the NIV will show that when he says, do you truly love me? He will say that they're, they're looking at that verb as being more serious. But nowadays we actually don't think that. We think it's actually the same word used interchangeably. So I'd have loved to make that point there because it was such a good point. Peter is grieved not because of a change of verb. He's grieved because he's asked that question three times. It's hard to be asked something three times. It's like, didn't you, you didn't get that first time? It hurts the second time to be asked again. Do I really need to reinstate it? The third time is probably devastating. Peter has said three times, I am not. Jesus, three questions make it plain that he's overturning those three things. It's not something Peter gets, but he will get it. It's not something that Peter immediately understands. He's hurt, but he will know that he's forgiven. He will know that God is the one who has forgiven him in the person of Jesus. He will know that whatever he is like, God is greater. We uh, looked before at how we are unable to keep the commandments. And, of course, in Jesus, the message is 
He did. He kept them. That's why he could die on our behalf for us. We are unworthy. Christ is worthy. We are unable to die a death that could save ourselves. Christ's death saved us and all whom he knows. It accomplishes the words here. When Jesus restores, if we like, Peter, forgives him, I will not lose one that the Father has given me, said said Jesus. Jesus performed many other signs, it says in John chapter 20, verse 30, which are not recorded. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. We've already read that Jesus did many other wonderful things, every one of them written down. I suppose the whole world would have not room for the books that would be written. It's exciting when you read those words, and it's exciting here What Jesus has done for Peter, he has taken him from an outcast, a failure and useless and made him his leader, made him his disciple, made him his loved one. It's a wonderful journey in the person of Peter. He Gives you so much to remember, to talk about, to think about, because he's so out there. Peter's denial might seem unforgivable to many. It often reflects to me as we think about what do we do with this sort of stuff? But actually God is much bigger than us at times. In fact, all the time. I'm part of the Presbyterian Church, apparently, and uh, we do processes and do things and we try to do them right at times. And we've got this, that place, this and that and other. But sometimes we're not really like God, are we? That's the truth. That if Peter had done this in front of us, would we have been able to restore him? Peter's leadership, his important role, which, of course, is not quite what has gone down in church legend, I don't think, yet is the Lord who forgives, it is the Lord who strengthens and the Lord who raises Peter again up. It's like in uh, Psalm 30, wasn't it, when there's this whole idea of uh, it is God who provides for our salvation. It is he who has lifted it up. The psalmist here, David, we think. For you, Lord, I called. Lord, you had mercy. You favoured me. You made my mountain stand firm. Though your anger, it only lasts for a moment, but your favour lasts for a lifetime. You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy. That's actually Peter's experience here. It's the one that Peter, uh, Jesus, makes sure he makes it plain to him. 
that it is God who forgives. It is God who has called him. It is God who raised him up. Maybe you're someone who has felt like you've done things which are not forgivable. Certainly, this passage speaks to us, speaks to all of us. When the evil one comes and suggests to you, you're not good enough. You're not quite the stuff. Surely what you did there or what you haven't done here or the way you thought this or didn't think that, or what you use your money for, you're not really useful. Why don't you? All those things. Peter would have been tempted and almost, from our perspective, justified to think. But Jesus has other ideas. And it's the same for us. We are weak, but he is strong. We do find ourselves isolated, but he calls us to himself to gather around his own fire of coals, perhaps in his word, perhaps in the fellowship here. Are you ashamed? Jesus says, I overturned shame. He took shame that we might know forgiveness. With the Lord, there is always forgiveness. With the Lord, there is always grace and mercy. It's a wonderful passage. Just as it was wonderful that Peter would stand for Jesus in those words in chapter 6, it's wonderful. But in the end, when all I fail, Jesus stands for us. Let's pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you that, Lord, it's not about us, but it's about you. Um, When we tempt to compare ourselves to others, as Jesus asked Peter, I didn't really say that. Uh, You do you love me more than these? We compare ourselves. Peter knew the answer that, uh, Lord, you know. You know what I'm like. Lord, we pray that we would know what you're like. We know that you know us. You know our weaknesses. You know our failings and our frailty. And, Father, you love us. Lord, Jesus came that he might save us. Lord, we pray that we'll be people who are not defeated, but that we'd be filled with joy, that we would turn our shame, our sense of failure, into joy and to dancing, because we should remove our sackcloth and rejoice in your forgiveness. Lord, we pray that in all these things we might be forgiving of one another, forgiving of ourselves, and we would rely on you, and we would repent and trust in your ways. For Jesus' sake we pray, and in his name we glory. Amen.